I'll be that target if it means it's going to protect someone who can't protect themselves. I'll be that target. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Live Literally podcast. On this episode, we have Dr. Macy Smith, and we're really excited to hear her interesting perspective and unique perspective, one that we have yet to hear. So, and it's a pleasure to have you, Dr. Smith. I am so happy to be here with you, Blake. Thanks for having me. Let's start off with giving a little perspective on your back since it is such a such an interesting field and such a high impact uh, career. Maybe talk a little bit about that just to start off. Thank you for calling it interesting because so many people don't find working with seniors sexy, but I do. So I (laughs) am a licensed social worker and a gerontologist. And so that means for those of you who don't know what a gerontologist does, I work specifically with seniors and their families, family caregivers, and support network to build a comprehensive care plan, care team around the senior to promote the best possible quality of living. I do specialize in working with those with Alzheimer's, dementia, cognitive impairment, and vulnerable adults in essence. So I I am a graduate of South Carolina State University. I achieved my BS in social work and my master's in rehabilitation counseling. South Carolina State University is the state's only four-year university that's sponsored by the state. It's a state-funded institution. I currently serve as vice chairwoman or chairperson of the board of trustees and uh, I couldn't be more proud because they are the institution that actually put me on this path to become a licensed social worker and gerontologist. I own my own geriatric care management practice here in Columbia, South Carolina, but I provide support services across the country because, Blake, um, I don't know if you know, you've had relationships with older adults or you, grandparents or great-grandparents. Uh, children don't always live in the same city or even the same state as their older adult loved one. And so with the power of Zoom and technology, I'm able to provide family consultations and advice across the country and across the world. As a matter of fact, I had one from another country recently. The son was in another country and the mom was living in Charleston, South Carolina. And so I was able to do care planning, care mapping, and also providing education, training, and and strategies as it relates to Alzheimer's and dementia care. So that's what I do in a nutshell. I'm also a court-appointed guardian and a guardian at litem um, with our probate court system here in South Carolina to actually step in when a vulnerable adult has been abused, neglected, or exploited. So when you talk about the work that I do being impactful, it really is. I mean, it comes with highs, it comes with lows, but at the end of the day, it's making a difference. And that's why I signed up uh, for these roles, because I have multiple, but they all point to uh, the nucleus, and that is supporting a vulnerable person in the least restrictive, most familiar, most comfortable um, environment with family support, natural support, or uh, paid support around them. That's awesome. Yeah. And I said that was interesting just because 
and I can relate to both both sides of the spectrum that you're talking about. I've uh, I have a house right next to my grandparents on one side here in Rhode Island, and then I have my other set of grandparents are in Spain. So it it is mm-hmm. difficult. I can relate to a lot of the challenges, but kind of the, a lot of the wonders of technology and how how much easier it has been to see familiar faces, um, stay connected with yeah. people that are important, and especially for for elderly people who it's it's hard sometimes for uh for them obviously um because people's lives are so busy and and it's kind of one mm-hmm. at least my next question is what's kind of the biggest challenge or, or one of the main most common challenges that you face well you know that is sometimes a challenge but but that i wouldn't say would be the biggest challenge because the folks that i actually come in contact with they they care a lot mm-hmm. and they want to do what's best for their loved one, their older adult loved one. Um, of course, it's going to come with challenges because it may mean that one child or one sibling may have to relocate to be near that older adult. But typically, it just kind of works out. One of the, the biggest challenges, though, Blake, is the long-term care system and the payment structure model. Right now, Medicare and third-party insurance does not cover long-term care supports and services. And what that is, if there's a need for a caregiver or an aide to come into the home to provide meal planning and preparation, assistance with bathing, dressing, or transportation. That has to come out of the pocket of the senior or the family. And that is a major, it takes a a major toll on the financial stability of families. Um, Because of that, the cost of care, you'll find that family members in the sandwich generation, which means they're sandwiched in between caring for their own family and caring for an older adult or their parent or grandparent, someone outside of the home or sometimes within the home, two generations. And they find themselves having to take off work to to care for their loved ones. So that's going to affect their financial security as well. So the biggest piece is the cost of that care and what that looks like. And if the person has Alzheimer's or dementia, that's double tripled, quadruple. It just depends on the level of the, the disease process and the location of the person and all sorts of, of factors as it relates to health equity. Um, so, yeah, so I would say the actual family piece of it is l- lower on the totem pole than you would think. Now, of course, there are going to be some uh, families that have, uh, the senior might have five children, but ain't but one doing everything, right? You know, we're going to have those issues. And so I find myself doing family uh, consultation in, talks, in terms of pl- family planning, identifying roles for each family member, because sometimes people don't accept the role because they don't know what it entails. And so I help to compartmentalize what that looks like to, to ensure that everyone can participate and it won't be a toll on just one person. Yeah, that's great. I think it's always important to, to share the the burden of responsibility and help and support as much as you can. Mm-hmm. And that's great to hear actually that people do care and people are more involved maybe than, than I initially thought. But to your point, Blake, now, as we continue to live, families are going to be a lot smaller. I've come in contact with some families, some seniors who don't have any children at all. We're going to see more and more of that. So not necessarily family members don't want to do it, but there aren't any to do it. So that's, a, that's going to be an additional challenge. And so right now, the burden of the responsibility that rests on 
the family member's shoulders. So if there is no family, there are no family members available, then it's going to rest on the shoulders of state leaders and elected officials. And I'm going to tell you, I don't want them deciding for me what's best for me. <laughs> and so we got to we have to strengthen and structure our long-term care system to accommodate for that. And right now it's not. Mm-hmm. And what is, what is the biggest thing that your, that your families need or are looking for? Respite. So that is for someone to come into the home while the family members continue about their day, uh, working, spending time with their children, practicing self-care, you know, having time to themselves so that way they can be healthy uh, for their loved ones. So, you know, finding qualified, well-trained uh, respite aides or caregivers is a challenge. States now, I and mean, most states don't require a structured, evidence-based, best practice training curricula for caregivers professional caregivers or aides or respite providers, whatever you want to call it. Um, states don't require that. There are some states that say, okay, you have to have in general these types of trainings, but that could be a, you know, a Q&A off the computer. And so we have to have well-trained staff and family members to provide care to our, our seniors and our loved ones. So having qualified staff. Are professional and then going back to the cost of it being able to pay for it those are the the largest two challenges the most most common challenges and the greatest challenge i see in the long-term care and aging spectrum to date one thing that i've seen with with my grandparents and just interacting with elderly people in general is um is always the the matter of independence um and kind of whether it's just losing that or wanting to retain that as long as possible. Maybe can you talk a little bit about that and your just your perspective on that? Well, the last thing anybody wants to lose is, is their independence when they've been independent for so long, because in, in the senior's mind is that this is the first step into the nursing home, right? Um, right. This is the first step, me losing everything that I've worked so hard for. And so, that's why it goes back to training staff and training family members on how to have certain conversations uh, with seniors being compassionate and empathetic about possible loss. That could, like you said, it could be, you know, loss of something uh, tangible like a home, uh, loss of abilities, you know, loss of family. And so we have to be very sensitive and competent in the way in which we communicate. I had family say to me, you know, Dr. Macy, how can I, you know, make mama know that she has dementia. I say, well, if she got dementia, she ain't gonna remember. So who is it for her or you? And so really breaking it down to brass tacks and saying that it may help if you lead the conversation with compassion and empathy and allow her to lead whatever conversation she wants to have about her life. You can't make her say and do what it is that you want them to do because that's confrontational. And when they're presented with confrontation or resistance, they're going to meet it with that. And that ain't no good for nobody. Well, what, what's some advice that you would give to someone maybe that isn't your part of your program or isn't someone that you're speaking with, but is just a normal person who has elderly parents. Um, 
what's something small that they can do um, just to to show that they care to have have some sort of impact and maybe get the ball rolling in the right direction. A phone call so that way they can hear your voice, a letter, a mailing. They, they still like to receive letters. Mm-hmm. Um, send it into your schedule weekly, biweekly, uh, several times a week. I'm going to call mom. I'm going to call grandma. I'm going to call grandpa on this day. They'd love to hear from you. And a lot of times you don't have to say anything. You know, I have people say to me, Blake, well, I don't know what to say when I call, especially the millennials and the Gen Z's where I don't know what to say when I call like my baby, she's 14. Well, I don't know what to say when I call grandpa. So you can say nothing. But like when you call and all she has to say is, hey, grandpa, well, he takes it from there. Right. So right. sometimes it just takes you to call and just say, hey, I was thinking about you. And they just start talking. Right. I mean, you would make you can move mountains with just a phone call or a letter. Just some uh, act of uh, caring is is what you. And, and as my mom would always say, that will bring on a talk. Will bring on talk. Will bring on talk, and that will bring on other things. And like I will guarantee you, you will feel probably way better than the person who you call felt because you're giving of yourself to someone who could never repay you. And shouldn't have to repay you. So just start with a phone call or start with a letter. Just drop a note of concern. And I think on the flip side, there's also a lot that we can learn um, and work so hard for so many years. And you're right. And I've I can share from my personal experience that anytime I call my grandparents, you're right. They they do all the talking and they're just happy to hear yeah. from to hear from family and be able to, to share share what's going on with their life. But would you agree that there's there's an abundance of knowledge and experience that we can absorb from them? Oh, absolutely. I, I say that all the time. They are more of a blessing and a cautionary tale for us than we could ever know. That is the type of wisdom and experience you want to have at your leisure. You know, uh, you know, people want to walk around with their Birkin bags, you know, to, to make a statement. You look, I want to walk around with a senior. You know what I mean? Because right. they're going to be the ones that give me insight that nobody else can give me because they've been there and they've done it. So why not utilize that as, you know, as a value? Because they're going to be valuable to you to receive that information, right? And then mm-hmm. you're going to be valuable to them in order for them to give that information. And so it's the relationship, that interdisciplinary um, relationship, multi-generational is very beneficial and it's reciprocal on both ends. Yeah, I totally agree. What would be the best way uh, for, say, three generations apart to to interact? Because I find that even with my grandparents, they sometimes have a hard time connecting with my youngest cousin um, just because of age and whatever the gap is. Yeah, there's always going to be similarities. We're we're all more similar than we are different, no matter the race, creed, generation. So think about the commonalities between the, the two generations. I can go ahead and tell you one right now off the rip, and that's music. Have you been on TikTok lately? You yeah, either got that's... to be nine or 95 to be killing it on TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> so grasp on to what is a commonality between the two generations and build upon that, bring their strengths with the senior strengths and make magic happen. You know, mm-hmm. music, doing the dances, singing. Oh, they love to be videoed and they look 
they look back at it. You know, my mama calls me all the time. Did you put the video up yet? I'm like, ma, we just did it two minutes ago. Well, uh-huh. I'm on Facebook and I don't see it. I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> give me a minute, will you? <laughs> but they enjoyed that. So that's how they could connect through commonalities. Specifically pertaining to leadership. And um, that's kind of what we're focused on here. But it obviously applies to to kind of what you do because they that generation is are the best leaders that we have and have been and are um are the ones that have taught us so much and um is there anything specific that you've seen leadership wise um with any of your patients or families that that you want to talk about well i would say to yeah the our senior population that is the greatest generation and they they've been leaders and currently are leaders but they're not revered in America the way they are in other countries. So I feel like a part of my role is to continue to lead the effort on ensuring that our seniors are getting their just due, ensuring that they are revered, ensuring that they are respected, ensuring that they can maintain as much of their independence and dignity as possible. Even though many people don't think it's sexy or many people don't think it's lucrative, it provides a service, a needed service that fills a huge gap in our community. And I tell people all the time, you're going to pray that you get to be that age. So why not step in and make a difference to make life better for people who are, are to come, right? By, while impacting the lives of those who are already here. So when we talk about leadership, leading in spaces that are uncomfortable, leading in spaces that, not, are, that are not popular, but that are prudent, to the success and the quality of life of not only our citizens, but of our communities, because they are still contributing members of our community. Some of our seniors have disposable income, right? So they are uh, influential factors in our community. And I feel like I uh, am a part of the crusade to continue to lead that message and to change the narrative and rework that narrative wherever and whenever possible. Absolutely. And, and I really appreciate kind of all the work that you're doing to do that. And you, you mentioned something there. It's it's the human side to it and the, the people side to it that that makes it so important. Oh, yeah. And you, you always go back to your passion and your purpose. Your passion is going to lead you there but your purpose is going to keep you there. And so whenever I get a little jaded or, you know, get a little frustrated or get a little angry with what's happening, I go back to my passion and my purpose. My passion never leaves, but I have to go back to my, my purpose and, and, and reconfigure my strategy. Because I'm always strategizing because it, it is a strategy because you're fighting against several different influences. But I'll be, you know, I, I'll be that target if it means it's going to protect someone who can't protect themselves, I'll be that target. You know, um, I often tell people, you can actually determine the character of a person during adverse times. You can't necessarily determine the character of a person when everything is going good, because there's no challenge there. There's nothing to to work and to develop or to strategize on when everything's going well. Well, when things hit the fan, if I was on another platform, I would say something else. But when things hit the fan, 
you can determine the type of person you're dealing with because now they have to work at something. You know, you can determine what their character consists of because now things are not going well. It's not going the way they want it to go. It's not easy. And so let me see how you turn up and how you turn out and how you show up during times of adversity. Those are the things that you need to put stock in. More people could afford to do that. Um, but you're you're absolutely spot on. And and I think in closing, um, I think it's important that we recognize all that that generation has to offer. We remember to pick up the phone and call them. Um, and even start with doing the little things for them because it, it is recognized and that they are deserving of that at, at a minimum. At a minimum. Thank you for saying that. Well, thank you, Dr. Smith. It's been a pleasure to have you on. The work you're doing is, is truly incredible and impactful and important. Thank you so much, Blake. And tell your grandparents I said hello. <laughs> <laughs> Will do.